Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. morning church. I'm not sure if I can preach after Michael just like tore it up up here. I might need some of that Michael Martin anointing over here. Man, he brought some fire. Hey, it is good to be with you today, to everyone here in the room, and to everyone who is joining online. Uh, We have Georgia, Florida, Colorado, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Texas, North Carolina, and South Carolina. Welcome. We are so glad that you are joining us today here in Charlotte. If you ever happen to be in the area, you know where to come. Well, we are continuing a series that we have been working in called parables, and I actually am going to share my favorite parable with you today, but I want to start out by just letting you know what a parable is. A parable is basically an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus often taught in parables, and the reason that he did is it helped illustrate profound truths. Those stories are usually easily remembered, and the characters are bold and strong and unforgettable. And the symbolism is amazing when you go through and you listen to how Jesus talks to a culture in a specific time frame. Jesus used 39 distinct parables in the gospel And at one point in his ministry, he actually used nothing but parables. So what does the word parable mean? It literally means to come alongside. In other words, Jesus was teaching these parables, these stories, to come alongside and help to aid us understand the gospel better. So here's my favorite parable. I'm going to read it to you today, and I'm going to read it and and give you a little bit of different meaning on when I read this parable, different things that I pull from it. Matthew 13, 24, it's the parable of the wheat and the tares. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but, everybody say, but, 
That's a big old butt right there. That's like a big old butt, like a MC Hammer big old butt song. Big old butt. All right. In his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Now, this parable has lots of different meanings and insight, but what I want to do today is I want to specifically talk to you about the roles of men and women and how God wired us and why he wired us the way that he did because I think the world's gotten it backwards. And it's very important for us to understand what God intended when he made man and when he made woman. Because there is a massive, massive um, identity breach that is happening right now in our country. And we need to get this straight. So first thing I want to say is that not only in this garden, but all the way back in the original garden where Adam and Eve were, God made man to be the gatekeeper. God made man to be at the helm of the ship. God put man in charge of the garden to guide, to guard, and to govern. He was the overseer. You could say the lead protector, if you will. And when something is off, the garden is susceptible. What is typically the issue? Well, it's exactly what we just read. Not only in the parable that we just read, but the same with the first garden. In the parable we just read, it said that bad seed came in and was sown. Why? Because men were sleeping. And when men are sleeping, the enemy has access to the garden. And we saw the same thing that happened in the beginning. Now, I want to talk about what that means that when it says that phrase, while men slept. I looked up that word, and it actually, that word slept actually is the Greek word kathudo, and it means to yield to sloth, indifference. You know, when I was growing up, I was physically abused uh, by my mother. She was a narcissist. My biological father was physically abusive and an alcoholic. And my stepfather, he didn't do any of that. As a matter of fact, I thought he was just a really nice guy because he didn't beat me up. He didn't call me names. He didn't do any of that. But you know what I realized once I got older? He never stopped any of it either. And I think sometimes we make people heroes because they, they aren't the sin of commission. 
But maybe it's the sin of omission we need to start paying attention to. What have we not been involved in that we should have been involved in because we had the spirit of sloth on us, that spirit of indifference? Now, the Bible says that God made a helper suitable for Adam, and that is the order of creation. Now, when God made Eve, Adam, they said, the Bible says that Adam was put to sleep and God literally took Eve out of his side. God did not go back to the dust of the ground again. He had already made everything in Adam, but what he did is he took out part of who Adam was, gave it to Eve, and then put them back together and said, you are now one. That's why it says, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. God didn't go back and create something separate. He actually took Eve from Adam. All of those characteristics that we hold as women, that feminine heart, our tenderness, those are things that God actually removed from Adam and then brought back together to Adam to make him complete again. Now, when Eve was created, Adam was sleeping, but Adam wasn't supposed to stay sleeping. He was supposed to wake up. What we see that are issues is we see issues in the order of creation and how we handle what God said and what God did. We don't always get the order right. We don't always know our roles or our position. And the other thing we don't always do is we don't always accept that role and stand guard in whatever that position is that God has called us to be in. Now, I want to go back to the beginning in the first garden, and I'm going to jump forward. We're going to go back to Matthew 13. But the, the first thing I want to do is I want to set some things straight. Because if you want to know what God did or how God did it, you got to go back to when he established it or when he instituted it, when he first made it to be. So we're going to go back to when man was created and what God said about the garden. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the what? All right, all right, all right. We're going to try that again. Because we don't want the spirit of sloth in here. So I'm going to give you guys another chance. And then, because it's not a trick question. I know y'all are thinking I'm trying to trick you. She's going to get me. She's going to trick me. No, I even put it up on the screen for you. The Lord God commanded the what? Oh, that made my pastor heart happy. There you go. Commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but... The tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a what? A helper comparable to him. Now, who did God command He commanded the man. And what does he say about the woman? She's to be a what? A helper. helper. Let's talk about this. Because when I have this conversation, uh, often the women get a little frustrated with me. And they're like, Pastor Penny, I don't understand this. You're a really strong woman. Why are you saying we're supposed to be a helper? Well, first of all, because the Bible said it. And if the Bible says it, I believe it. 
But the second thing is I understand what that word helper means. And that word in the Hebrew is the word azir. It's pronounced easy, or it's spelled E-Z-E-R, but it's pronounced azir. And that word literally means like a doctor making the assist in a life-saving procedure that without it, you would die. So when I look at my role as a helper, I understand the value and the importance of it, and I do not demean the calling that is on my life. I am not just this insubordinate that I have no, you know, no authority or no, and I think that's the thing that we, we get in our minds is we think that our position is a weak position. But let me explain something to you ladies. The strongest man that ever lived on the earth was brought down by a woman. Creation was brought down by a woman. So I am not suggesting that your position is weak. What I am suggesting is without the headship of the man, we can get off. A.K.A. Eve. A.K.A. Delilah. The Bible also references in Proverbs that the, the woman with a seductive spirit brought down, it doesn't just say men, it says strong men. What I am suggesting is that your power, when used in the right way and under the right covering, is one of the most powerful forces on earth. It's the assist that makes a doctor go in and save someone's life, that without it, you're a goner. That word literally means it's two words put together. It's to rescue or to save and the word strength combined. It's not some subordinate assistant that all you do is bake cookies or clean the toilet. Although I don't mind baking cookies, don't so much love the toilet, but I think, I think sometimes when we think of our role or our position, we demean what God has called us to do. And it is not a weak position. As a matter of fact, that same word that is used for helper is the same word that is used to describe God as our helper, our refuge, our strength 16 times in the Bible. So before we get bent out of shape that we are the helper, we're the one to make the assist, understand what that role looks like. It is a powerful role, and cooperation between the two roles is key. It's what makes for a very, very powerful team. Now, we understand because we read previously that God gave the vision of the garden to who? To man. Now let's see the authority and what is to play out. Let's see who he gives that authority to. Genesis 1, starting in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created who? Then God blessed who? And God said to who? Be fruitful, multiply, Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
God gave headship in the garden to Adam and to Adam alone. But he gave authority to walk in leadership to Adam and to Eve. But ultimately, Adam is responsible for headship. Now, let me explain to you what that looks like. How many moms do I have in the house? Okay. Now, God made you to be a zeer. He made you to bring the assist. Does that mean that you have no authority in your home? Does it? No, it means that when you and your husband cooperate together, there is something powerful that happens that it makes the enemy mad. There is this unification of when we understand our roles. The devil gets mad because he knows he's defeated. Because what God sets in motion works. And the enemy doesn't like it. So when I say things like, hey, you need to submit to your husband, women sometimes are like, oh, the hair's coming up on their necks. And it's like, that's why there's the little, the little snicker going on. But let, let me explain something to you. Submission is not an act of your will. It's more a condition of your heart. And what is submission? Don't don't understand submission to be abuse, right? Submission is an act of our will. And submission literally means this, sub, to come under, sub the mission, come under the mission. It doesn't mean that you're weak or that you could be squashed like a bug. It means you're coming under the covering of your husband, and the two of you together are going to lead your family in the way that it should go because you understand your proper roles. Men are the covering, and we are the azir. Let let me give you an example of what that looks like, right? I have this umbrella, and I don't want to shoot myself in the face because it's being recorded here at this campus. But this is what the perfect picture of family is supposed to look like. This is your family being covered. When the storms of life come, when the winds blow, a family that is in proper order is covered. Now let me explain what azir is. Azir is this metal pole that goes up the strength that holds the top of this umbrella. In other words, this covering, this top, is the role of the man, and the role of the woman is the support system, the azir. Now, let me show you what happens when we try to do someone else's role. This is what makes it so difficult about same-sex relationships, okay? God made things different for a reason. Here we have Azir, the strength, the assist. When you have two of these, guess what? You're getting wet. You're getting wet because God kind of knows what he's doing, right? When you've got two of these. What good is this without the azir? 
It's no good. So why are we doing this whole battle against men and women? We aren't made the same. If we're going to talk about science, let's talk about the science. We're made differently for a reason. Because we have roles and we have a purpose. And when we get outside of our roles, we get wet. And guess what happens when we get wet? Our family is left uncovered. The way it's supposed to be is we've got to have a covering. Let me explain it to you like this. There are these metal beams that go all throughout this building. Those beams hold this ceiling, hold the roof in place, the covering. If you had those beams and you had no ceiling, you're still going to get wet. But if you had the ceiling and you had no beams... It wouldn't work. Cooperation is key when we understand what God has called us to do. But I will tell you this. Men, I am asking the the women to submit to your leadership. But it is really hard to follow a parked car. So if I am going to ask them, to step out and get underneath the covering that God has established, I'm going to need you to put the key in the engine and rev it up. Because if we are not in our roles, then our family suffers. Now, the word for watchmen, because that's what's supposed to be at the, the head of the garden, at the gate, that word right there means to preserve, to save, to be ward to guard or to protect. Adam and Adam alone was charged with the vision of that garden. He had a headship role. That was his responsibility and his responsibility alone. But there is supposed to be a cooperation with the vision and the direction that we are supposed to step alongside and help you lead. I get people that ask all the time, Hey, uh, now I can honestly say we've been pastoring for 30 years. The last three years, I have had more questions about women and their role in ministry and leadership. And obviously, I'm up here today, so you know that this church believes in allowing women who have been given a gift by God to stand up and use it, no matter what role, no matter what area. But please understand this. When you see me up here, don't for a second be fooled and think that I'm not covered. God put gifts on my life and he would never say, I'm going to put these gifts on you, but you can't use them. And somewhere this thing is infiltrated from this reformed theology that's trying to make a comeback right now that says women should have no leadership roles in the church And that they should never be able to speak things to a man. Now, I understand where they're getting that scripture from. And there are times women need to be quiet. Paul was right. I will admit that. Because we are made like a garden, which is the comparison I'm making, whatever you plant in us 
we will grow. You give us a seed, nine months later, we will give you a baby. We are great incubators, and for that reason, we can also be susceptible. Because many women in this room have gone without gatekeepers. And when you go without a gatekeeper, the enemy can come in and sow things into our lives that are not okay. And when that happens, the weeds or the tares get into the garden, and sometimes you got to go in and weed that out. And because we nurture whatever it is that is inside of us, sometimes we don't always nurture the right thing. God made us to have our emotions help lead the family, not for our family to be driven by our emotion. And when things get off, that's why our headship is there to help us stay in line. I remember one time my husband and I were on the mission field and we were in an orphanage that we support and we went in and I was devastated. My heart, my compassion, that, that pastoring, that nurturing, all of those things in who that I am. I am on this mission field and I'm in this orphanage and I told Troy, we've got to bring them all back. And he's like, babe, I don't think you're thinking. I'm like, no, I don't think you're thinking right now. They need to all come home, all of them. And he's like, babe, where are you going to put them? I was like, I've already thought it through. I'm going to clean out your man cave and put bunk beds in all of it. I mean, I literally went through this whole process in my head. I had it all straight. We were going to bring them all home. I knew where I could get the money from to fly them home. We would take care of them. That They just needed help. They needed rescuing. And that is me. I'm a rescuer. My husband said, babe, there's about 80 kids in here. And I said, that's all right. (laughs) He wouldn't let me take them. And I got back into the car. I slammed the door and I didn't want to talk to him for like two hours. One of the biggest fights we've ever been in in 30 years of marriage because he was depriving those children of a good life, of a life where they'd be loved. How could you deprive these children of that? And he was like, you can't handle the three we have. Later, when the dust settled, he said something that was very valuable. He said, here's what I want you to understand. I'm not asking you to change who you are. I know you're the mom on our street that would take in every bird, every squirrel that fell from a tree, every bunny rabbit that lost its way. He said, but here's the thing. We're called to do that on a big scale. And if we bring all these children into our home, then we won't be able to reach the hundreds of thousands of children across the globe that we are called to. He said, so what I want to do is I want you to see big picture. Yes, we need to help the children, but I need you to think bigger. It's not just about those children. 
It's about children all over the world. And so right after that, we started all these different programs for kids everywhere, orphanages everywhere, where we could bring children in. And each book that I've gotten to write, the proceeds got to go to helping children. And here's the thing that he knew. He knew that my nurturing, my tenderness needed a covering. What I was feeling wasn't wrong, but the way that I was seeing it play out, my husband had to kind of course correct that. And I think it's important that we have to understand that without our covering, we don't make the decisions that are always needed. Now listen, if you're a single mom in here, you're gonna have to ask the Lord to be your covering and your protector. And he'll do that. But I want you to understand, men, how important your role is and why we need you so much and why the enemy is trying to tear down your roles as well because of how valuable and important it is. Let's go back to Genesis. I want you to hear this in Genesis 3. This is when Eve, right, thinking that she knows the right thing, thinking that she's doing the right thing, She takes the fruit because she thinks, well, I just heard this voice that said it'll make us wise. Why wouldn't I want that? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband, what is that word, those two words? With her. And he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. There's two things that I wanna point out to you. The first is you see the spirit of sloth show up right here in the garden. It wasn't like Eve was somewhere off on her own and snuck behind her husband's back and did something she wasn't supposed to. She ate the fruit and she gave it to him who was with her. He watched her do that. What we need you to say is don't eat that. But see, God gave me the direction for the garden and I am charged with that. And God said, no. This is not the direction that our family's going. This is not where we're headed. But if if you get so busy tilling the garden all the time and you don't realize the family that's there supposed to be with you in the garden, then we'll ignore the very charge that God has given. And here's the other thing I want you to see in that scripture that is incredibly important is what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that Eve gave the fruit to, or Eve ate the fruit and her eyes opened Do you notice how it doesn't say that? It says she ate the fruit, nothing happened. She gave that fruit to her husband who ate and then both of their eyes were opened. The authority that you have as men is undeniable, which is why we have to have you at the gate. I want to explain to you a little deeper what tears are. 
Because we nurture, because of what's planted in us, when tares got sown into our garden, I want to give you a a definition of what a tear is because when people read the scripture, often they think that a tear is just a weed. And it's actually way beyond that. A tear is actually an exact duplicate of, of wheat except it's poisonous. In other words, it's coming in faking like it belongs, looking like it belongs, deceiving like it belongs there, and you have these things growing you don't even know are in your heart until the fruit starts to come, and you see the fruit isn't so good, and you're going, maybe there's some things in me that I need to examine and see how this got in here. I can tell you how it got in. Husbands and fathers not being at the gate. That's how it got in. But now I need to tell you how to get it out. The Bible says that when you go in and you try to uproot it really young, it's hard to see what's what because it's faking really good. It's faking like it belongs there. And it can be confusing. How did this get here? How is this allowed in my heart? But once we start to see the signs, man, this isn't fruitful. This isn't productive. As a matter of fact, it's dangerous. I know for me, in my life, I had a lot of tears. I had a stepfather and a biological father, and neither one of them was at the gate. My grandfather wasn't at the gate. Nobody was at the gate. And because of that, things got sown into my heart that I had to spend years uprooting. And there were things that I didn't even really know were there. Inner vows that I had made because I wanted to self-protect. Part of the reason you see this, you know, women's lib movement is because they felt unprotected. And so what they do is they do the only thing they know how to do in order to feel protected. Albeit the wrong thing. we've got to turn this around in our culture because there is so much insecurity that has been sown into the hearts of our women. And I really think that if we could get our husbands and our fathers back at the entry of the gate, this whole thing would get turned around. The whole thing. You know, ultimately, this parable is about Jesus coming back and separating what is good from what is evil. And I think that's a good question that we can ask ourselves today. As you stand up on your feet, I want to ask you, I want to ask you this question. 
What weeds have been sown into the garden of your heart? What is there that shouldn't be there? Could you bring the lights down, please? Thank you. What is there that shouldn't be there? Sometimes we don't even really know because we're just trying to figure out what's what. But would you close your eyes with me today? I would like to ask you this question. Whether you're in here in this room or whether you're online, I want to ask you this question. If you know there are things that have gotten in the way of you fully doing what God has asked you to do, whether it's standing at the gate or whether it's cleaning your garden out, and you just know that you want to turn that around today, would you just take your hand and just put it right over your heart? Just put it over your heart. Thank you. Just put it over your heart. You can say, I want to clean the garden or I want to stand at the gate. And I'm going to do a better job of this. I'd also like to let you know the only way that we can do this is if we have Jesus, who is our ultimate covering. I want to ask you today, if you would say that I would, I would like to have the relationship with Jesus that I need to, maybe, maybe you did at one point and you stepped away or Maybe you've never had that, and today you say, you know what? I want that. Would you also, if your hand's not already in your heart, would you just put your hand across your heart? Just say, I want that relationship. I want that relationship. Maybe you've never seen a father modeled. Maybe you've never seen what a a good husband looks like. Between my mom and dad, eight marriages, I never saw that. Neither my husband nor myself had good families, good parents. But let me just tell you, God is the best teacher. He can step in. He can fill any void. And I'm not just talking about the sin of commission. I'm talking about dads who maybe were there, but they weren't. Let's just bring it all to the foot of the cross today. Let's just say this. Say, Heavenly Father. We just surrender everything to you, who we are, our purpose, our calling, our failures, our achievements. God, we ask you right now to come in, to clean our garden, to help us be made new. You said in your word that behold, all things become new when we give our life to you. So we do that right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House.
and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.